I'm getting a little bit fed up with this. This is about the fourth or fifth time I've tried this. Listen, let's go again. Okay, you're listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. This is episode number 66. This week, we're having a chat with Martin Callaghan and James Callaghan. Those boys, they run Park Gate Investments, a property finding service, and they link investors to property. It's been a great week for bricks and mortar mortgages. Uh, looks as if we've picked up a contract with an estate agent that should be able to drive the business forward. And also we had a great chat with Michael Graham and Shan Denley. They've started up a new legal practice, Denley Graham. I'll tell you a little bit more about what they're doing at the end of this episode. In fact, we're gonna have them on next week in next week's podcast. And then finally, you all know that I'm part of the BNI. Probably what I've not told you is that I've changed groups, or they call them chapters in the BNI. And uh, I've been with this new chapter, this new group, for about seven or eight months, good bunch of people, and we're at the Collaborate. Um, if you want to know anything about BNI, then listen, PM me, and uh, I can tell you a little bit about that. It, it's got a bit of a cult status for some people, uh, people sometimes think that it's all about trades but you know what we've got a great group and uh, if you're looking for more business then you should be able to get that but you know pm me and i can tell you a bit more about this anyway i had a chat with a guy called javier peralta he's a business coach and uh, we do all these one-to-ones on the bni and he was absolutely fantastic he runs a business action coach and he just will drive your business forward. So if you're needing any assistance on the coaching side of things, what he really delves deep into is accountability. And I think, I guess, you know, if you're in the coaching world or you've got a coach, then you know that that one-to-one is so, so important. It gets you that accountability and you should be able to drive your business forward. I'm going to put on this interview Martin Callaghan and James Callaghan, part of Park Gate Investments. They're a property finding service. James ran Domino estate agents and letting agents for a good couple of years. And then Northwood came along, liked the look of his letting business, and he sold his letting business out to them. And that really drove him forward to start looking at the property finding service. It's called Parkgate Investments. They look as if they're doing really well. We talk about how they started, market conditions, and also where they see their business going. It's a startup. It's similar to myself at Bricks and Mortar Mortgages. We had lots of synergies, lots of things in common. Let's introduce you to Martin and James, Parkgate Investments. Um, yeah, we formed we formed this as a room, and I thought, you know, I need to have somewhere that I can go and speak to clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem, one of the problems going on is a bit echoey, right? But I just need to get some stuff on the walls, yeah, and right. then it'll be absolutely fine. Great, some egg boxes, some old egg cans, or anything. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's not really meant to be. This isn't sort of the. 
it sort of morphed into the, the studio where Nick Ponty on. I've listened to it and actually we know Nick, he's going to see him out. Everybody knows Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, I'm quite friendly with Mark Shanta, I know you had Mark on a while back and mm. you were doing it beforehand. Yes, uh, he was one of the first guests that we had yeah. on. And Mark's so obviously got interested in the backstory with the poker playing that Yeah, it was amazing that, yeah. that's how he started. He's, he's got a really good business, so we, we've actually got a good partnership with Mark now, so we'll get into it in a bit more detail, but yeah. we identify properties for clients. We then connect with Mark and he provides the management for uh-huh. them moving forward. So Gary's got a process there with, with him in place. He's got a really good team and they're making good progress himself. So yeah, he, he is doing the right things, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so important. So important because there's so many of the letting agents out there um, that everybody, all the landlords have got their pick mm-hmm. of, yeah. of anybody. Uh, so it's absolutely so, so important just to make sure that you nail that. Yeah. So obviously I don't know if we'll get into it through here, but we, are, we had a letting agency. Yes, I saw that, Domino, yeah. So we had to acquire in touch on that. April by Northwood out in Finnison Street. So basically, James founded that business back in 2010, so kind of almost 10 years in the game letting-wise as well, so uh-huh. we know the ins and outs of it and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and Mark is very and an offer you couldn't refuse why did you decide yeah. enough was enough because you started it in what 2010 yeah. numbers were good and we uh-huh. did a couple of approaches and we were like mm, numbers are good maybe it's not the right fit yep. maybe it's the right fit the numbers aren't good and uh-huh. then a bit of a Goldilocks you know everything kind of came together we were at a point where it was all going very well, we had a great wee team, but we started doing the investment side of things and we were getting a lot of attention on it. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult to run both of them. Months. So yeah. we said, well, we're getting these offers, we know that can stand out on its own as a business. So we stripped it out in April last year mm-hmm. and said, well, let's see if it can run on its own two feet. Yep. And it could, so we said, well, if we let this go, it'll let us focus on that. You know, so. And was it because the other one was going to make you more money, or was it because you know what I really enjoyed doing the developing and that kind of thing? What was yeah, the driver yeah, for it? Really, does that? I would say it's a It's a different model. So letting letting has been good to us, but it's a very hands-on you know industry to be mm. in. There's so many moving parts, sure. ever-changing legislation. Yeah, you'll always get problems with tenants and landlords as well. You know, in the nicest way, even, mm. even if you're quite selective as we were as to who you take on. So enjoy the thing in that one, but it is very hands-on, very intensive with a huge advantage of it being to get monthly recurring revenue mm-hmm. whereas we're now in a sales cycle where you're only as good as your last sales so you know we've got different targets amongst ourselves but it is a more straightforward and profitable uh, business and, and it's a bit more simple as a version to take forward it's a very simple business model but the as Mark said the, the, the challenge is doesn't have recurring revenue which is really why I picked letting as uh-huh. a business model in the first place yes. when I started it was like it's just me haven't got a sales team, so it'd be good to pick a model that's going to be get it sold, and then you can pretty much forecast a landlord for seven years on average, so you know you can kind of do numbers on that for seven years. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Park A, it's get a client, get a new client. Well, January the first, you've got to, every January the first, you've got to start again. Um, so, I've come from a legal background, yeah. and from selling on legal firms, it's an absolute nightmare because mm-hmm. there is no, in essence, recurring revenue. You might yeah. have a client who stayed with you for a long time but uh-huh. you, they could just bugger off yeah, next yeah. week and then you completely lost that yeah. I think going back to Mark very briefly Mark uh, I think bought the estate agency that were based underneath yeah. that's right yep. 
and he, I think he essentially got it for buttons because they didn't really have anything to sell. Mm-hmm. They were essentially like a shop window. They were selling so a shop front, yeah. and you know, some kind of existing clients. But how often do people sell their, their family home and that yeah, type exactly. of thing? So, and we've seen it in other instances. We're from Bothell. Uh, that's the, the folks still love my brother. Okay. And Jamie Lonsdale was an estate agent. I know Jamie well. well yes. Yeah, so he passed away a few years yeah, ago, yeah. and we we actually went and met his wife and his son at the time. I think we were considering taking on a shop front. I was just looking at options. And basically they had nothing to sell apart from the unit. I might as well have been... Jamie's name. Jamie was the business and obviously he was no longer able to be part of it. And mm-hmm. I left him with not a great deal to sell. Whereas with letting, obviously you've got that recurring revenue so you can sell it as a lift and drop package. And, and it's very much from a valuation point of view. It depends how many units you've got under management mm-hmm. and they multiply that by a multiplier which yeah. generally is... Somebody told me it was 500 and then I think Bonnie was telling me it was more up to the sort of thousand pounds per per unit mm-hmm. just a great a great model great yeah, business yeah. model it can depend as well the quality of stock I mean it loyally yes. comes down to the, um, the monthly what was your average monthly rent rather than the number of properties okay because if you had 500 300 pound a month properties versus 500 1000 pound properties it's yeah. a different value because it's, yeah. the, it's the revenue you can generate yeah. for you uh-huh. so your average was the region of 800 was it just less than 800 no 880 yeah so it was good quality stock, so we knew that whoever was acquiring us, they weren't going to inherit all the problems that you would get from the lower end stock. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just, just the facts of it, not to be snobbery against the NAC yeah. market. So Northwood knew, knew they were getting a good thing, they'd done a lot of due diligence, as you understand they would do, to find out the stock levels and what type of tenants and what type of recurring revenues we were getting. But because there's been a few stories bandied about, and you'll know them without actually mentioning any names, um, that the due diligence <coughs> is the thing that suddenly can take a seven-figure sum for your business to a, hold on, there's a hole here and there's a hole here. Of course. And what did you do with that money yes, that you should have put into the deposit account? You don't have a business, yeah, yeah, <laughs> huge deposit holes in various yeah. places in Glasgow. And I suppose uh-huh. that's, you know, that came in just as maybe a year, year and a half after we started, and it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a common sense thing anyway, I thought, but we Great. didn't have any, you know, it was just right into that process mm-hmm. straight away, kind of thing. So. I think we fortunately have over our kind of relatively young business, so we were quite streamlined and we'd got ahead of the curve in terms of let, letting agent registration, which is now in place. We were already doing those things and having you know, separate client accounts and relevant insurances mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, staff all trained up and qualified. Yeah. So it wasn't a big issue when that came around for us, whereas a lot of the kind of poorer performers will have been a bit spooked by that. They'll have seen a cost involved in various hoops to jump through that they maybe weren't prepared to do. So, Well, well they started the game under a certain set of rules, a new set of rules have come in and thinking, hold on here, that's a bit of a hassle, that's going to cost more yeah. money. Maybe it's time time to get out, but with you guys, you started and you know the rules were the rules, and so therefore it's probably been a lot easier for you to yeah, move forward. Just, just, I, mean, I think like agent registration, as much as it was a bit of a hassle, it's got to be a good thing because mm. up until then there was no bar- barriers to entry, you know, in terms of anyone setting up a late yes. agency. So now what it should do theoretically is flush out the poorer performers and leave a better standard in the marketplace so and hopefully that will be out as we, we see time pass. And at the time that you decided to get out of lettings had they brought in the PRT than you yeah. they had and had was that one of the reasons why you wanted to get out or did that have any bearing no, at all on I, the I'm decision? I would say if anything if you're looking at commercially that's an opportunity if you were mm-hmm. um, poorly constructed and poorly administered then it's a, it's a risk, risk to you. Mm-hmm. If you're well administered and well constructed, then it's going to create opportunity when other agents fall by the wayside. As we've seen in the last you know, year or so, they're kind of 
poorer performers have been pushed to the margins. Yep. So if we were still looking at the Leighton model as going forward, we would say, well, there's a greater opportunity going ahead. So mm-hmm. no, it was more of a, a I think, right time. I think more specifically with the PRT, it is quite heavily swayed in Terence's favour. And I think it's just gone completely the other yeah. way now. Twenty-eight days, and this, I don't like that. And I'm bugging exactly that. Uh, and at the same time, they set up the, the first-tier tribunal, which has been interesting because they are taking on anything and everything. So very spurious cases. We get called for a, a, a kind of probably what I've called a non-case. A tenant took that off for no reason. Long story short, they moved into a property at uh, Walmart Crescent, which sits next to Cessna Underground Station. Mm-hmm. And then proceeded to complain about the noise of the underground and this is a disgrace and nobody told them and it was like when you viewed the property the underground is there the flat is yeah. there and uh-huh. so we had we had, had said zero point zero miles from the underground yeah so things like that so we had to go to the first year tribunal and it ultimately it was ruled in our favour which we were ninety nine percent sure of but you, you, you just never, never know it. and it's just a lot of time and energy so you're down there you know spending a morning there you're getting through the rigmarole you, you get set up a paper file so it's not a digital mm-hmm. or hard copy mm-hmm. file. All this kind of stuff, but I'd like to think that between the first tier tribunal and the PRT, there may be a bit of a PRT version 2.0 or something somewhere where it's maybe just pulled back slightly. I understand finding the balance, but as you're saying there, Jonathan, it's 20 days and anyone can just click their fingers and sail off at this that, That's just created a bit of instability in the marketplace, which I suppose the whole point of the regulation was to remove instability, mm-hmm. create a, a, you know, a long term. Um, PRT that everyone can can benefit from. Mm-hmm. So I think if there are to be changes, it's just to kind of reinsert that stability in the market. So I was speaking last week, and you would have picked this up if you'd listened to the Nick Ponty interview that I I mentioned uh, Chris Coburn of Let It, and oh, uh, he, yeah. yeah, he was saying to me that uh, a lot of landlords are they're suggesting that it might be an idea for you to now go down the route of unfurnished. So the tenant has to then bring in their furniture. And there's therefore less of an incentive for them to say, oh Christ, not only have I got to go and find a new yeah. place, but I've got to go and cart all my furniture away. Yeah, it's a school of thought. Um, it's probably not one, if we were still in that game, we'd go down, we still have own properties, we would still always furnish anything that's yeah. too bad or less. Generally speaking, the properties that we steer clients towards are kind of fast-paced environments with young professionals. Uh-huh. Generally, generally speaking, young professionals don't have a sofa, a bed, or coffee table, and that kind of thing. So... I can understand the thinking, but if they had to go and get that and bring it in, then fine. But if, it might, for some tenants, provide another barrier not to take on a property. So if they can just come into a flat, dump their couple of suitcases and their iPad and stuff. Turnkey. Exactly. Yeah. The void period is what kills, it, kills any you know, yield for a landlord. So if you've got a really nice flat but unfurnished, it takes eight weeks to let, but if you get one in turnkey, which takes two to three weeks, which they are just now. Big, big difference. I could do a grand or a grand and a half. And you've got less of a market because not everybody well, is prepared right. to look at unfurnished. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. if you look at who is, that's a big point. Who's, who are you trying to sell to? Is mm-hmm. the mass market? And who are the people who are kind of manipulating the system a wee bit to use the short terms? It happens, but it's not a great amount of the market. So you're really selling, you're going to change your process mm-hmm. for a small portion of the market. Or you're going to maintain what you're doing because it addresses the mass market and yeah. so it gets them in, keeps everyone happy. So I've got flats, I've got half a dozen flats. My idea was get them on capital and interest, pay them down, and that's the pension or part of the pension. Why did you guys get into, you said that you've got flats, yeah. what's the rationale behind keeping those? So we had some quite early experiences. You your property in Hamilton, I lived in London and when I came back I let it out mm-hmm. so we really got a bit of a feel for it we thought well, this is you know something that, that works provides steady revenue and you know you can make a long term 
plan for it. So similar to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really why we get into the investment. Yeah, and I think when you're stacking up against the, the other options out there, whether it be you know the volatility of stocks and shares or the low performing pensions and that kind of thing, the numbers work all day long in property when done right it's just a nice steady earner mm. the advice we give to clients you know some people will look to do the shorter term stuff and that's that's not really us we're you know looking to invest in something that will work well over the medium to long term yes. you'll get your nice strong monthly rent you'll get your good annual yield you're also going to get the growth mm-hmm. and that's in spite of any blips such as that you know Brexit might cause a wee dip in the market but like the financial crisis or the dot com bubble or hyperinflation the mm-hmm. 70s these corrections will always be around and you know there'll be something beyond Brexit and something beyond that and you'll have this wee dip, but over the longer term, if you look at the graph, the growth is always there. So it's yeah. a very sensible. It, it's not a difficult. Uh, it's not difficult to make money in property, but you have to keep hold of the property. The problem that a lot of people have is that they don't have an income coming in, so they've got to keep flipping, keep flipping, mm-hmm. in order for them to actually put some bread um, on the table, mm-hmm. and that's where. The, uh, the difficulties come because then you've got to be absolutely certain that the one that you're going to buy mm-hmm. is one that is flippable. Yeah. Whereas if you buy something that's long term, generally speaking, certainly that's been my, um, my history, is that you're, you're just riding what seems to be an ever-increasing value. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And people get spooked about Brexit and, you know, we're not different in terms of some of the clients we speak to. They've long since decided they want to get involved in property but Brexit's kind of thrown them off just now but it's a, it's a short term approach so we put out a few videos on LinkedIn and different things explaining you know how to invest through a Brexit and that type of thing mm-hmm. and Brexit will only affect you if you want to sell during Brexit you know if you're too heavily geared or something like that yep. you know if you're looking at it with a sensible approach you've put in a, a reasonable 25% deposit or whatever you can ride out a Brexit or whatever the next Brexit is you know in their F2 might be a thing or Whatever it may be, but mm-hmm. it's always you know very much a medium to long term strategy for us and our clients. I think in your market as well, you've seen the last in the last week or so these really long term mortgage uh, offers coming around. So yeah, people, are, people are thinking, I'm a bit kind of nervous about investing, and mm-hmm. you've got the option of taking a long term mortgage there to see you way past mm-hmm. any short term fluctuations. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's, it's a bit yeah. I think Leeds brought out a ten year fixed. Maybe just two, three weeks ago, something like that. Yeah. So there's a bit more stability. There's a, there's a great, or was a great product on the market with Coventry. It was a flexi fix that you could go for ten years, but you could just go out of that deal whenever you wanted. And exit was yeah, with, without any early redemption penalty. And they've brought they've brought in another deal where it's only a four hundred and ninety five arrangement fee, mm-hmm. and that's a two year flexi fix or a five year flexi fix. So if you're coming to the end of your fixed rate and you're going to go on your standard variable, mm-hmm. rather than going on to your four yeah. percent, what you can actually do is go to Coventry get your two-year flexi-fix, and if you're going to think about moving in that two-year period, well, that's fine. You've yeah. paid your arrangement fee, no early redemption penalty. Yeah. yeah. Works for both. Yeah. Works for both. What may be good as well, just kind of, after the recording, to get a wee chat just last week. We've partnered up with a couple of mortgage brokers at the moment. Mm. You know, we've got uh, the guys at True Wealth, if you know, uh, Graham McKnight, McKnight Financial. Yes. Come across Graham. So Graham's yeah. kind of, Braincock brand is True Wealth and also you and the team of Super Contractors. Yeah, so we've got a couple of good relationships here, but we're mm-hmm. always looking to branch out and partner up with different sure. professional services, so perhaps a good tie in there. No, as for well. sure, for sure. So let's take you back to Domino. You sell that, they, they, they come in with a tranche of money, everything's okay with the due diligence. What do you decide to go and do? What, what was the next step? Well, we decided, I suppose, pre decided that the investment 
side of the envelope, which became part of the investments, mm-hmm. could stand its own two feet. We had enough interest from customers to go and do that, yep. and the numbers we projected would, would be that. But once you go and make those decisions and, and leave Dom and let it, let it go on to, to Belvoir, to Northwood, it's straight back in the start mob, startup mode. So you're mm-hmm. doing the, you know, it's, it's fun and exciting, but it's, it's back to the, the hard yards mm-hmm. again, you know, which is, we're enjoying that. Yeah. yeah. And how much of a risk? Was that, you know, was it a big risk what you were doing or because you had experience, it was just a matter of time before you were able to get things moving the way you wanted them to? Yeah, I mean, because we've done this with Indom since 2012, 2013, 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we, we knew the product works. <laughs> it was just a matter of can you get out on its own two feet to sustain the overheads and then, you know, go into real profit yeah. beyond this, that's what we're at. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's, it's calculated risk because we had, you know, seen that it worked within the dog. Well, you've trial run it, Yeah, you? but the thing is, within Domino, as we mentioned, you do have that recurring revenue, which is your safety net, your foundation. Yes. Whereas when you branch it out into its own service, which is, is yeah. what we now have done, you know, as I mentioned, you're only as good as your last client, uh-huh. your last sale, uh-huh. your last... Uh, Achievement, if you like, so it keeps you on your toes. But you know, James is from a sales background, and we've got our own, you know, targets and different drivers, as we mentioned as well. So uh-huh. yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty exciting as much as anything else. Yeah, and the, the cost base plummets as well. It's a very different model. You know, we modelled it out, you know, quite extensively, and you yep. can see where the, the forecast were. Uh-huh. So as much as you've got to restart this the sales effort, your cost base drops off you know, mm-hmm. instantly when you when you come away from the yeah, side of things. Yeah. I think doing that trial run is is fantastic and in many respects that's what we did here. Uh-huh. So my p- previous uh, life in, in the law came to an end in 2016 um, and then started up with Begley Brown, ran the mortgage book with them, knew that it could work because in essence the people that I had spoken to for 25 years to get legal work were the same people I was now talking to in order to get mortgage work. So those people knew who I was. Um, and it took sort of three years to work out, listen, this can stand on its own. Um, and quite literally, the deal was done with Chris on the Friday and we opened up on the Monday and all the clients, because we paid an amount of money for the clients and the ongoing work, there was no drop off, there was no, mm-hmm. uh, there was always income coming in oh, yeah. from yeah. day one. Yeah. And it was great because you knew that it would work because it had worked for the last three years. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you a bit of comfort because you know, James has been around got a friends from the startup world and mm-hmm. different tech startups and that type of thing and you've got different stats from different places, but you know, something like fifty percent will fail the first year alone uh, yeah. and you normally maybe two out of ten businesses make it in the end up. So yeah, I mean essentially as James says, what two or two of the degree were back in startup mode but with above Comfort and set a lot of experience behind it, so it's been a, a kind of mix of both. With, with Dom, we've been the first start, you're just spending, you're working 90 hours a week, but you're spending 45 hours of that time doing the job and 45 hours working out what the job should be. Mm-hmm. It's your first time doing all these things. Going into the second one, you've got the experience of you know what to do, it's just a matter of now doing it. Yeah. So there's time to be saved there. So you've got to find two people. You've got to find clients and you've got to find property. Exactly. Yeah, so which problem. one comes first? Do you get the property first and then you've got a, 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 a number of clients who you know will take that kind of, of property? How, how did how did you start off? I suppose Glasgow's very helpful there in terms of it's a multifaceted city with a lot of property on the market that fits the kind of things that our clients tend to look for. Mm-hmm. Our network has been grown over almost 10 years 
in the property game, so mm-hmm. we know all the people who are bringing property to the market. So it's more in terms of our, our drive is towards the client. So if we've got the conversations going with the client, we're generally confident that both Glasgow and our network in Glasgow will provide a mix of off-market and on-market properties to allow us to satisfy the client. Mm-hmm. So we, we would put our effort in finding the client first. Mm-hmm. I mean, the longest I think we've ever waited is maybe five weeks between mm-hmm. the client saying yes and satisfying them with the, the property that completely fit the criteria. Because right. just works that way. Yeah, I think, and there is an alternative school of thought, and it's it's just not our world where people will go out and do the maybe the leaflet drop and different things and find the BNB properties. And say, <laughs> say, 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 say they have I don't know why you're laughing, Jonathan. But it's, uh, it's just not our world. So rather than find a property and try and kind of fudge that towards the client and kind of suggest that that might be the right thing, uh-huh. first and foremost, we have a, a fairly extensive consultation with our client to work out, certainly what their budgets are, what they're looking to achieve, what their long term goals are. Yeah. And we then find the, the bespoke property that works. You know what, I think that that long term is a better way to go at it because ultimately what you're doing is you're creating relationships. Yeah. And business is all about creating relationships, continuing on with relationships. Mm -hmm. So if you create those relationships, then that in some respects is the harder thing to do than actually going to find the property. But your newbies who are coming out of all the courses seem to all be saying you need to get get property and then you sell the deal. Mm. It seems to me from what you guys are saying that's something that's completely different and maybe a little bit more short term. Yeah, and and that's definitely, I'm I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just someone's alternative approach to it. Mm -hmm. Nick touched on it in his podcast. I think education is a good thing but it's got to be then taken in the right direction and it's just, that's just a different model from what we do. So we, we know what works for our clients and I'm sure you know different approaches maybe work for a different type of client. Mm-hmm. But from our experience in terms of the people we deal with and the people we want to deal with long term, we think that is a far better fit. Yeah, I, th- I think there's an authenticity question comes into it, which is really important to us when building relationships. That when we're talking to clients, we're talking about the actual things we're going to do for them, not the things that we hope are available for us to do for them. So when you're talking about people saying, I've got the property now and you find the client, but they don't have it either, and they're mm-hmm. telling both sides they have both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're telling the client, this is the process, this is what you want us to achieve for mm-hmm. you. We're going to go and do that. We're being very authentic in what we're doing, so there's no um, crossfires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think as well, you know, a lot of the clients we, we work with, they are portfolio builders, so they're looking to, to do, you know, the first initially, get a feel for the experience of working with us and then allow us to go on and work with them to find the second, third, fourth, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So for us, it's not just about one transaction and we both part company and sail off into the sunset. It is important to provide a very extensive, close relationship with them from the off. And you know that works well in terms of repeat business with the client, but also Word of Mouth was really successful for us as part of Domino. It was what really helped us build the business. Yes. And we've taken that mindset into Parkgate Investments, you know, yeah, it's first and foremost do a great job for the client, but the client will then speak to friends, family, colleagues, mm-hmm. and that then becomes your next client. So, so how do you go about the marketing side of things? Mm-hmm. Um, have you got any? I mean, you talked there about videos that, yeah. that you've you've done. Uh, social media. I mean, how extensive do you use yeah, that? Again, LinkedIn is is a big place for us. Mm-hmm. So we are on Facebook, but we've not gone down Snapchat and Instagram and those types of things. Mm-hmm. And I dare say they get value for for different people, but LinkedIn is certainly a good place for us, so fairly frequently we put a video piece or, or something similar there, um, and that's you know, to build organic, so what generally comes out of putting a decent video on LinkedIn 
is conversations and mm-hmm. conversations can then lead to a consultation and that then becomes a client. So that works particularly well, certainly the word of mouth and just being in the Glasgow network works well. And beyond that, we do a lot of digital marketing. So we've got an easy down south we work with and we've done a, done a mix of Google AdWord type stuff, stuff with them and also some fa- Facebook ads which are starting to come to fruition now. Right. So we bit of a mix there across the board. How do you work, how do you feel that that works for you, your Google ads and, and your Facebooks? Is that something that, that you spend a lot of money it's, on? It's about a test and measure really and I think that's true for probably any business that's mm-hmm. going into social media ad spending. Um, there'll be one that works for you, you just need to do a bit of test and measure and make sure you're measuring very tightly yeah. and understand what's coming back from it. So it's probably more, interestingly, the stuff that we do ourselves directly works really well on LinkedIn, but the mm-hmm. stuff we do from an ad perspective tends to do well on Facebook and not so much on, on Google Ads. So yeah. right. it's horses for courses, it'll take you time to find that. Yeah, and what's also interesting, just as you said there, about test and measure. So initially the Facebook, what we were doing was, we were trying to attract clients who were further down the funnel and ready to make a decision. Mm-hmm. With a fairly high-end product such as ours, that probably wasn't the right fit. So we've scaled that back a bit and we're now looking to attract people who are further up the, the funnel in terms of investing in property. So maybe they're just looking for a bit of information or a, a buy-to-let guide or a educational video. So we've now kind of scaled back the approach and we're trying to catch people at an earlier stage in their decision-making. Okay. And that seems to be to work, work better for us. We're getting more conversations, which ultimately lead to conversions. Yeah. The other side of our market, I suppose, is, which has been really important both in, in Domino and, and maybe even more so within uh, Parky Investments, is you know your power team in, in property, you know, your accountant, your mortgage broker, your conveyance solicitor, mm-hmm. and your ladies, and ourselves being the fifth. So we partner with all four of the other uh, five, yeah. ourselves being the fifth, yeah. and we work with fellow work partnerships with them. If we pass you a client, you pass us a client. Mm-hmm. It works especially well with lenders because they can pass us a client. We find the property for them. We pay a fair reward, and they get they the get stock the back. back. Yeah, they yeah. grows their own stock. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the kind of perfect fair reward mm-hmm. process. Yes, for them certainly, because they want to know that if they're going <coughs> to give you their client, that you're not going to spit in the soup. Yeah. and, and yeah. you're going to give it back to them exactly that. that would lead to the kind of short termism the balances we always avoid so we don't uh-huh. have long term partnerships and relationships it just it is so important to have and it's sometimes difficult I was speaking to Delaney Graham who are legal firm that have just started up um, and I, I was explaining to them that you need to be very conscious of who becomes a client of yours mm-hmm. um, and there's a great book um, in fact, I'll give you a copy of the book a guy called Michael Port, um, and he talks about this uh, velvet rope. And the velvet rope is you don't let anybody, no client comes within the velvet rope unless you want to work with them. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very difficult at the start of your journey, yeah. especially when you're looking at the balance sheet and you're thinking, shit, we've not made any, <laughs> we'll just yeah. come, everybody come all. In, into us but then that is just cannot be the way mm. to make a sustainable business yeah I think that's very interesting we were actually speaking to a chap this morning about it so <coughs> I don't know if you want to tell the story about your early days your so, so we, we were very selective and you know from the very start and it was especially difficult when you're looking at each month going this is hard yards hard mm. yards to come yes and you've got an option of a, a client and a property both of which don't fit your business model uh-huh. but the money does and you think, well, do I take it, do I take it? And we always said, no. A client came along with 10 properties. We had about 30 at the time. We said, well, let's go for it. For whatever reason, 
we just weren't a good match and it doesn't mean we were right they were wrong it's just uh-huh. we weren't a good match and we maybe ran for about six months and I said you know what this isn't right we gave the 10 properties back which when you're sitting at a 40 property portfolio it's pretty hard to get yeah, well, that income has come, yeah, yeah. but it's the, that gave us the time to go on and grow the business and that's <coughs> you know one of the things that really let us yeah. have a bit of an uptick yeah. Certainly one thing that we do here is that we've got a three-strike rule um, that we'll get in contact with them and if we'll get in contact with them on three occasions, if they don't come back, I will send them an email or a text to say, listen, I can't waste any more time on this. I've given you every opportunity. You said that you wanted to do some work. Mm-hmm. It's clear for whatever reason, maybe you found another broker or it's slipped between the cracks. Yeah. But listen, if you want to work with us, in essence, this is your last chance. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't, they don't, that's fine. I'll mark that forward six months and see if they've actually ever come back yeah, to yeah. me. But certainly the, the people that back in the, the day when you were doing law um, and people came and they were bitching and grizzling about the fee and you had to chop the fee, chop the fee, chop the fee. These clients were your worst clients mm-hmm. and you'd done them a flipping favor by chopping the fee. Yeah. And then somebody said to me, if you win on a fee, if you win on price, you'll lose on price. Yeah, like at some stage, it will be, yeah. they'll yeah. go somewhere else. Yeah, rest of the bottom type stuff. I think, is it Pareto's law, the whole 80-20 principle as well? You can end up spending 8% of your time on 20% of your, your yeah. client base. And really, you should flip that on its head and, you know, essentially remove the 20 or, or address it in some way, shape or form. Because you will end up getting... Bog down with that, you know, whether it's yourself or your, your team, your staff. You're spending too much time yeah. on somebody. So for us, we've got a, a certain fee that we charge for a mortgage, and that doesn't change irrespective of how difficult or how easy it is. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's taking up more of your time, it means that you're making less of a profit out of that one particular client. Yeah. Yeah. So what you want is you want a client to say, listen, I need three months bank statements, your passport, your driving license, your pay slips, and the clients who give you that within half an hour, you know that that is going to be very easy transaction. Yeah, it's the ones yeah. that you've got to push and pull mm-hmm. and push and pull and you're immediately thinking, you know what, I shouldn't have let that's you awesome. inside the rope. Yeah, yeah that, that's what you're saying. The inside the rope's a very good analogy on that. On the um, the client who will leave you for price when you win a price, mm-hmm. so we never went below 10% within the, the letter agency side of things for, for property management. And when we come up against someone who was saying, you know, I'm maybe going to go with X, Y, Z, they're going to be mm-hmm. 10%. Yeah, yeah. We make the same argument and say, like, you know, as soon as, you know, that person, if we were to win that business, they would leave. But the argument we made the client was, if you're going to not go with us, go with somebody else who's 10%, because then you know you get the same quality. It's so all about go service. Down on the quality, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How can you service, you know, high quality at 97%? you're going to get a 97% service, mm. so stay where we are. But people don't understand that. There's this great phrase about um, the pain of bad service will stay with you longer than the thrill of getting a cheap price. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. it's just every time that you take somebody on that is a complete car crash and you've cut your throat for it, you just think, oh, why have I done that again? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap service is expensive. Yeah, it's just... So... I come to you as a prospective client. What's your sales process then? What are you going to do? I'm saying, listen, I want a buy-to-let property. Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing we probably do in any conversation is, is ask a few qualifying questions of the client, of the mm-hmm. potential client. How long have you been considering the property? Is it something you're looking to do in the coming months? 
do you come to have a budget, you know, we hear or see online a bit of the no money required and, and we don't buy into that theory. So we need to make sure someone's qualified to, to work with us initially, you know, mm-hmm. there's a bit of qualification in terms of are we the right fit for them and vice versa. Yep. Yep. So, so that would be the first thing we do and that allows us to clarify very quickly who are the serious buyers and who the tyre kickers are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of our clients are based kind of in and around Glasgow, so they have a bit of knowledge of the area and what they're looking to achieve. But more and more, moving forward, particularly with the digital market, the of things is we're getting clients from you know, expat territories like Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Hong Kong, and that type of thing. So they're drawn to the Glasgow market. The weakness of the pound isn't a bad thing for them as well, of course. So mm. they're drawn to what we can offer. So, yeah, so we'll have that initial consultation. We'll qualify them in, all going well. And then we'll work out what their budgets are, what they're looking to achieve. Are they seen as a long-term proposition? Are they looking to buy more than one property? Should they consider a, a limited company structure? I suppose that's where the power team comes in as well. Mm. What we'll do, a key part of what we offer is connecting them to the right people. So it might be that they should go and speak to an accountant first and foremost to to set up in the get right the way, structure get the structure correct, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, once we, we clarify what they're looking to achieve, um, if they're happy to proceed, what we do, our, our most popular service, I'd say, is a platinum sourcing service. So basically that's a full end-to-end process which starts with that consultation, goes through to some financial projections and, and different things like that. And at that point, We'll then go on to identify the correct opportunities for the client. Some people will take full fee up front um, and then run from there. Mm-hmm. What we always do is we take 25% up front, which allows us to begin working for the client with the 75% balance only due on completion. That gives a bit of trust as well between both parties. There's there's no point asking for all the money up front when you've not really done anything to the client mm-hmm. just yet, but there needs to be a wee bit of something in the game to, to allow people to... Shows a bit of commitment. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So when we sign people up, we sign them up with a 25% down payment and when we then get to work. As James says, I think the most we've taken time-wise to find a, a suitable property is around about five weeks. Often the opportunities there at the very time of the next day or whatever it may be, but different clients have got different criteria, so it very much depends on what they're looking to achieve. Mm-hmm. So we'll spend time between you know our network and some of one market opportunities to drill down to find the right opportunities for any given client. So it might be there's half a dozen right now in the market for someone, and we've got to then assess that half dozen between the home reports, the due diligence of actually attending the viewings and, and scoping the place out. Mm-hmm. And once we find something that ticks all the boxes, we'll then run the financial projections on it. So certainly from our time in the, the lettings industry, we know what rents, we know what it rents for, we know the type of audience it attracts. Generally speaking, we look at properties that attract the young professional uh, market. So yeah, so we'll, we'll get all that detail together. We'll then present that back. Sometimes it'll be one opportunity we present to the client. Sometimes it's maybe two, three, four. And we'll let them know that these are our various recommendations for you just now. That one will achieve that in rent, that may grow a bit better, etc. Mm-hmm. etc. Et and find out what's the best opportunity for them. Sometimes it may be that something present isn't the right fit for a variety of reasons. A lot of clients are looking for different things. Mm-hmm. Some, yeah, and some will some always want a modern build, for example, <coughs> some aren't so keen on tenement, vice versa. So we drill down to find the very right solution. What that does is it, when we create, give the client those options, they say no because it gives us a bit more information to refine the criteria even further. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we really know exactly what we're looking for. So it's that, that initial kind of, yeah. what, what do you want? So you've mentioned that you will scope off market, on market, from leads that you've got, etc. So <coughs> say you offer four particular options to a client, I'm guessing some of those potentially might be on-market deals, 
but then I guess what you're looking to try and do from the client's perspective is to say, well, listen, that's an off-market deal. That's a done deal. You can mm-hmm. have that. Whereas a, an, an on-market deal is, you know, yeah, you might end up with a closing date scenario, uh-huh. for example. Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean, in terms of you know on-market stuff, our one of the key things we do for clients is we're very attentive to what's coming on the market. Obviously, we've got various alerts set up, good relationships with various state agents. So mm-hmm. if something comes on our radar, we get early eyes on it. So we'll be amongst the first to view anything. Mm. And if we realise it's the right opportunity, we'll get in with a good strong early offer as well. We're not here to lowball anyone. You know, if some something's got a, a 140k home report on it just now, we're not going in at one two five one thirty. We'll go there or thereabouts. You mm-hmm. know, and we'll obviously negotiate hard at different times depending on what's the circumstance but it's your job to try and get in early because as a lot of things are, are doing just now there are lots of closing dates and it's, it's pretty competitive out there so yeah as you say Jonathan it's that's a challenge when it's on market when it's off market yeah very often you'll be told here's the numbers this is the deal mm. so it's just a different balance and if the off market one's the right fit then that's what we'll pursue and, and it's all about the fit for the client isn't it exactly well, if, if they're going medium to long term you've got to make sure that they buy the right property yeah for them, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, and whether that comes on market or off market, it's all about the right property. Yeah, yeah. And then the fee that you charge is that dependent? Is that a fixed fee? To tell us a little bit the fee structure. Yeah, so so for that platinum sale, it's a three thousand pounds fixed fee. So twenty five percent upfront, seven fifty, and the remaining two two fifty only once legally completed um, the purchase of the property, and that works fairly well. You know, we kind of spend a bit of time tweaking that cost, and should we make it higher, mm-hmm. or potentially lower? But we found that the sweet spot and certainly professional investors don't balk at that price point they, they see the value in what we do and they understand that's just a, an extra cost for, for what they're looking to achieve okay yeah. there's lots of different models you can yes. some, some plus one percent some plus two percent all these things mm-hmm. but we found that it's just straight for the client they know exactly what they're doing there's no ambiguity on that they just we actually provide the calculators with the fees and the mortgage fees within it yeah so you can see all these upfront fees and what it's actually cost them in cash to get the property so it's all very straightforward from that point. Okay. Um, and medium to long term, where where are you seeing Park Gate, say, in, in 10 years' time? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good question. We've been asked ourselves about, you know, would we take the model elsewhere? Would we kind of build out and franchise yeah. or something like that? I think if you were to be franchised with the model, because what, what you've got to have and what we do have is with 10 years' experience, like in Glasgow, mm-hmm. is genuine city experience. We can mm-hmm. tell exactly where to go, where not to go. And you can see a model down the road where someone in Manchester says, well, I'm actually that guy in Manchester, <coughs> but I don't have the structure around me. Could you provide a franchise structure? Yeah. It's not in our immediate plans, but if you were to go and develop the business, that's probably where you develop it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I, think, I don't think, you know, we can lay claim to, to even have intimate knowledge of Edinburgh, you know, somewhere fairly close and certainly not, you know, I think, I believe the Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool markets are all performing fairly well just now. But for us to get down there, it, it wouldn't be genuine. We don't have that intimate knowledge, which we do have here in Glasgow. In Glasgow and you know Liverpool, Manchester, all these big cities, you need to have that intimate knowledge because yeah, we certainly know where the hotspots are and where we should be investing. Mm-hmm. But likewise, we also know where you should be avoiding. And sometimes, sometimes that's only a couple of hundred yards away. You know, there's there's really good areas of the Merchant City, for example, but you don't need to go too far to find maybe less desirable parts of town. Somebody said to me that their offices are now in Merchant City East. Yeah, you get a bit of that. <laughs> and that's it. Like if, you know, if you're maybe not off Glasgow and you're looking to buy remotely, you'll get in touch with various estate agents who, you know, like a lump that happens, they'll tell you something that is maybe Gallagate or Trongate, yeah. Merchant City. 
And that's not to be dismissive of those areas, but from an investment point of view, you need to know what you're getting. And that's where we can really step in and say, do you know what? Absolutely, that's a place you should invest in. Mm-hmm. But likewise, over there is somewhere you shouldn't invest yeah. in to make sure you get the good growth and the, the right tenants. Your own portfolios in limited company or personal or a bit of both? Limited company, and we did it early on, mm-hmm. um, which turns out to be the right way. Yeah. So maybe some good advice we had a number, a number of years ago, which was mm-hmm. obviously probably the we should be doing it you know most people should be doing it now but yeah we got into that early yeah I think so potentially a wee bit a lot more than design but it was advice we took at the time and you know we did some good advisors around us so yeah and that's what well for us and, and more difficult at that stage I guess getting funding on the limited company because I think it's only in the last I don't know 18 months or so that the likes so. of the mortgage works have come yeah. out Paragon and Kensington yeah that, that's, that's the most encouraging thing is the number of products on the market now for limited companies and the rates that, that are coming with it yeah so that that's great for us and great for our for our customers uh-huh. yeah. good good Airbnb, um, PRT, any Airbnbs for you boys? Try that. <laughs> Glasgow doesn't have a positive outlook on that, so I would say Glasgow if that's... From a council perspective, planning permission. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. that's something you are making plans for in Glasgow and it's coming in Edinburgh and it will come in a lot of cities that... Well, they're, talk, they're talking about this 90-day rule, aren't they? That yeah. you can only rent it out for 90 days. Or any, any given time. Yeah. What I think will happen is it'll move somewhere towards an HMO type where this is properly licensed. Mm-hmm. We've all stayed near BBs across Europe, across the world, and it's a great facility, but you have to see the impact that it has on a city. So it has to get to where HMO is, where its over-proliferation is, is uh, obstructed. Mm-hmm. So you can have a number of it that makes it healthy to the city, but not to the point where it impacts on the city negatively. So. Because the whole point of Airbnb was when it started was that I've got a two-bedroom flat, I've got a room lying empty, just, you know, you can come and kick down there. That's the whole premise of it. And then suddenly it's been spawned into something that I think the the people who originated it just probably didn't mm-hmm. want because it was meant to be a little bit yeah, you know, I, underground. I, I think it can be the case with a lot of startups as well. You know, they kind of start as one thing and end up yeah. with something very, very different. And you know, Airbnb's a, a, a monster now. And, I mean, mostly in a positive way. You know, when we travel in Europe or anything like that, more often than not, it would be my first port of call, and I think you're much the same. Mm-hmm. There's some great options out there. But it's it's such a flexibility. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you, you know, whether you want to kind of take a, a nice full flat or, or whatever it may be yourself, mm-hmm. there's some great options. Whereas Glasgow, certainly from a council point of view, they seem to have taken quite a negative slant on it. Um, and I think, I think well, they're, they're, they're closing some folk down. They're, they're taking a complaints-led approach. So yeah. you know, too many stag or Hindus or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And a lot of residents are getting a bit fed up with it. You know, you'll see the key fobs on, on many buildings throughout the city centre, you yeah. know, kind of lock things. So a lot of complaints are coming up now, and I think mm-hmm. the council are stamping down. So I believe there's a few operators have been shut down. There's been a few kind of headlines in recent times. So, yes. Yeah, so it's not an area we we focus on or have uh-huh. done uh-huh. in any given way. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I think it's just a balance thing. You know, mm. It can be a great thing for the city, but it's got to find that balance. So yes. I don't think any city's really found that. If you look at Barcelona, they're doing the very same, but there will come a point where the balance is found and people can still put a good property portfolio together with that. But I think with that has to come a bit of regulation as well because the amount of work and effort that PRT landlords put in isn't required from an Airbnb landlord. And there's a health and safety issue. Mm, For sure. It's all about just doing it right and finding the balance. Okay. So listen, we've been going just a tick over 40 minutes. Time has sped by. Um, I'm really keen not to take too much over the sort of 45. Mm-hmm. So I'll come up with the uh, the usual five or 
seven questions, just quick fire, okay, just as soon as it comes into your mind then, so uh, leave or remain? <laughs> no one should answer that question on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Downton Abbey or Bake Off? Oh, neither. No, no, Bake Off. No, no, no. <laughs> Greg's or Pretamonji? Greg's. Yeah. Greg's. Okay. <laughs> uh, podcast, what podcast do you listen to? So I listen to a mix. Uh, I, I like guys like Tim Ferriss, I don't know if you've yeah, yeah, Tim yeah. Ferriss and guys like that. So uh, I like those kind of thought leaders. There's a guy, uh, James Clear, who I follow just now. I don't know if you know James Clear. Right, I've heard of him, not listened to any of his stuff. He a book called Atomic Habits, which is a great book, I thought I'd recommend that. Right. So I listen to guys like him, uh, people of his ilk, uh, and a bit of sport in between, big football fans. So All right. a few things of that nature. Good. I'm more reading the podcast. Podcasts don't tend to settle on me as much as reading does. So, right. Obviously, bricks and mortar. Did I mention? <laughs> did I need to ask? Did I need to ask? Um, I like a guy called Rich Roll. Um, he's an ultra marathon runner, um, a former um, alcoholic, former drug addict, former solicitor, and just interviews the most left field people for an hour and a half and right. it's just I do a lot of running mm-hmm. um, and I just don't want to listen to music when I'm out running I try to listen to a podcast so that's one that I listen to yeah, so the Rich Roll the Rich Roll podcast he's, okay. he's pretty left field but it's good stuff um, bicycle or car I'd love to say the former but it's the latter for me right okay yeah. um, I'm wearing an ankle operation once that's fixed I'll be back I'll to make the bicycle what happened with the ankle then? Was that sport related? Yeah, or? just yeah. too much running, too much skipping. It's just ligaments of taking a bit of a tanking, so right. it's fixed. Skipping, so what? Just as part of the cardio. Yeah. yeah. And you good at skipping? Excellent. Do you want to <laughs> go? I, it's one of these things, because people when think skipping and they think that they're in the schoolyard and they're doing the... But 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 with the <laughs> but with the skipping like the boxing skipping yeah, is doing yeah. and it's a beautiful thing once yeah, you yeah, sk- yeah. are able to do it and yeah. bounce on the one leg and onto the other yeah, yeah. yeah. and good good for the good for you aha so I play cricket and I play cricket for years and years and years and footwork is something and I guess tennis and a lot of of sports like that it's so important to get your footwork right mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of the professional cricketers will yeah, do the, the, the skipping yeah. yeah and it's a great workout oh, I'd recommend it yeah. Yeah, I haven't done any skipping for a while. Um, best ever sporting achievement? Hey, so I've played a fair bit of, kind of uh, football, a bit of amateur and junior over the years. So up until fairly recently, I was a coach at a club called St Mungo's over in Bishop Briggs, who are a, a really good club, actually a lot of great guys involved there. Okay. And I ended up getting into coaching through, through St Mungo's. So took a team, and it was a team of, a team of kids, a team of young guys, you know, 18, 19, 20 uh-huh. didn't have a great deal of experience at amateur football but we entered uh, a new league the greater Glasgow well the league wasn't new but it was new to us the greater Glasgow league okay. I started with this bunch of young lads made our way through the leagues and actually won the league for that I mean about four or five years ago and it was a, it was a great season all of us together just had a real good good spirit good like, and it was, just, it was just a really good and important thing to be part of, I think. And how did you build that? Or was it very easy to, to build something like that? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's easy, but I think I've been lucky. I've had a few good coaches over the years. So you've taken a bit from them. Exactly that. Try and take a wee bit from you know each of the coaches you work with. And even coaches that you've not enjoyed working under, maybe learn from those not to do. experiences, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so I kind of got some reasonable knowledge. I'm still kind of doing a wee bit of coaching now, mm-hmm. a wee bit less. So... But I, I was also fortunate that I had a really good, talented group of players at the time, and it was a wee yeah. bit of 
you know, kind of perfect storm. You know, the boys came around at the right time. I was kind of at the right time for me to start uh-huh. coaching. So with, with a one particularly great season, as I say, we won the league, and it's, it's you know, a really fond memory for me and a, a great achievement. For the it's a wonderful ability to be able to impart your knowledge to a group or mm. to a, a, a to a team dynamic, yeah. and then they play the way that you want them to yeah. play. It's quite satisfying. Like, you know, I love my playing days, and you can never replicate, you know, running and scoring goals, mm-hmm. you know, from your playing days. And, yeah, know, the coaching is obviously very different, but it's. It is the next big thing. I know it sounds very cliched and you hear it, you know, from a lot of professionals speaking uh-huh. about it, but coaching really is the next big buzz. I mean, your team maybe scores a goal or a set play that you've worked on. Uh-huh. There's a real satisfaction. Yeah, 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 not, that sure. not that you've given the guys that advice and they've actually listened to it. There's, you know, there's one uh-huh. thing to tell them, the other thing is them taking it on board. But as I say, we had a great group of boys at the time. They were all very open to learning, very decent guys. They, they managed to click as a, as a bunch as well. They were brought in from you know, different backgrounds, different uh-huh. areas. They weren't friends to start with, but very quickly bonded very quickly. Friends. So yeah, as I say, perfect storm, and it was a, a great season. The, the, the other thing that is wonderful is that you see somebody who is maybe not the best player, but with your skill, attention, and coaching ability, you see them improving, and yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. Like attitude. Uh, yes, and attitude as well. I yeah. would rather work with a guy who had a wee bit less ability but had a better attitude. I agree it's with that. To, to bring it back to business, it, it's the same in the workplace. We are very much of the mindset, and I know lots of startups are as well, hire for attitude rather than experience. You know, we, we, would, we would rather take someone who's a bit of a blank canvas and, and mould them a wee bit. Very difficult to teach attitude. Mm. You know, you've either got that or not. Whereas yeah, skills, you can teach skills any day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, agree. So whether it's in sport or in business, if you've got the right attitude, you should do okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've, my girls are, are hockey. Um, they like their hockey and uh, we've got one who's uh, sort of under 15, under 16, she's now in the, in the second, it's the first team in fact, but um, she was playing the second team over the road there at GHK, and I thought, well, I'm keen to get into, because they didn't have any sort of, they've got coaching, but no match manager on a day, and the, the right. thing was about the shambles on a Saturday, and I thought, right, well, I'll put my name in the hat for, for yeah. um, coach, and didn't my daughter then get picked for the first team? So I'm now Lombard <laughs> with training and coaching the second yeah. team, and I can't even watch my daughter play <laughs> the first team. It's no, a bit of a disaster. Yeah, what about yeah. sporting achievements for yourself? Probably through running. Yep. Uh, ran quite a lot, especially when I was in London. I think initially as a, as a way to avoid going on the tube in the summer. Okay. So just the, the baking heat of there. Um, quite into uh, 10Ks was my, was my pace. Right. And I'm a fairly tall chap, so you don't really get a kind of... 35 minute 10k out of me, so I'd be <coughs> got, got my, my time in a race down to a 45 minute, and I was delighted with that. Good, yeah. so was, and then I think five came my best was just over 22 minutes. And that's the thing with runners, they know their numbers. Ah, because yeah. I've done, I've done so much, yeah. marathons, half marathons, 10k's, 5k's, and everybody knows what their numbers are. It's true, um, yeah. but time catches up on you. Yeah, yeah, um, it's something I would definitely go back to because it's, it's very good for you know, the head as much as the body. Oh, know? for sure. Yeah. I think I was lucky in the fact that I didn't do much running as such when I was playing cricket, but then once the kids came along, there was no time. I couldn't devote eight, nine hours yeah. to play cricket Saturday and Sunday, so I just started running. So as far as my legs are concerned, I've only had 10 years of running. Mm-hmm. I don't so have 20, 25 yeah. years of running because I think I'm in... James, when I get up in the morning, it's all creaking in, you know, <laughs> it takes me a wee while to get going, yeah, so, yeah. and that's only with 10 years of running inside me, mm-hmm. so. That's the best good sport, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finally, best ever sporting occasion that you've attended? 
Hey, nearly a couple to the last year. Yeah, that was a gap. So I, I got to see um, Sugar Shane Mosley boxing in Madison Square Garden. That was that was good. That was right. Um, when I was over in New York a number of years ago, uh, eighteen years ago. Who was he fighting? I don't know. It was his first defence oh, right. of his uh, of his world title. Um, I can't remember that chap's name. But just to see boxing in Madison Square Garden was something. And is that just a huge circus? Is it? I mean, there's, diff- there's different arenas within it, but yeah, right. yeah, it was one of the, the kind of the bowls around the, around the state kind of thing. But wow. it's just the, the whole atmosphere of boxing in New York and uh-huh. the the fame. And then when you come away from there, there's a couple of wee boxing bars tucked up side streets and stuff. So all right, all part of the occasion, you know. So well, yeah, you could just rock up with your get your gloves on and have a go yourself. Lights burning. What about yourself? Uh, so uh, we're both big Celtic fans and. We were both in Seville back in 2003 when Celtic made the UEFA Cup final. Oh, so right, yeah. Fortunately, Celtic didn't win on the occasion, but it was it was quite a kind of special thing to be a part of, and there was uh-huh. a huge number of, of Celtic fans travelled for that. And it was just it was just a very good occasion, and you know, it's it obviously the most disappointing thing is, is losing it mm. at the end of the day. And I remember trudging out the ground and kind of, you know, face tripping us and that kind of thing, but yeah. you realise later, like, you know, how good it was to be part of that, and it's something you're still talking about now, so yeah. what, it's kind of 15. 16 years and where was that? Was that at Seville's ground or Betis's ground? No, it was the Olympic ground, wasn't it? I th- it was a third ground off. Like it's, it's, it's almost a city municipal ground. No, right. it was the yeah. third ground off. Stunning stadium. stadium. Yeah. yeah, really good wow. stadium. So, great experience. And we were there with families. Well. So, uh-huh. my dad, or a little brother Michael was there and some different family. Uh-huh. Uncle uh-huh. James and cousins yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, it was great. Really good experience. So, we were in Seville and we wanted to go and our, we stayed at Novotel, which is next to the Seville's ground, but you couldn't even get a tour because they were doing uh-huh. work on it. But the day we were there, Real Betis were playing. So right. I thought, we'll go and get some tickets to Real Betis. And they were playing some second division team, Los <coughs> Palmas, in a pre-season friendly. So we rock up, 9.30, it kicks off, 26 degrees. I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. And there's three tiers to the stadium. Nobody in the top tier. There's some people in the, in the middle tier. But the, the bottom tier is absolutely rammed, you know. And the songs and the singing, a great atmosphere, fantastic mm-hmm. atmosphere. So the game finishes, and of course... If you're at any of the, the, the stadiums in, in Scotland, 15 minutes before the end, the place is like a ghost town, everybody's bugged yeah, off. Yeah. So we wait until the end, or we get our Uber, and we're standing outside 15 minutes the Uber wait. We have to wait 15 minutes, and we're thinking, nobody's coming out, nobody's coming out. And they're still singing songs. It's like they've won some European Cup, and I'm thinking, it's not even a league game. Yeah. It's, it's just the atmosphere, and yeah. these, these real Betis fans, are the, the guy in the hotel said oh you're going to Real Betis oh that's the working class so these are real sort of die hard football yeah. people mm-hmm. um, whereas I think the Seville are the sort of the, the hoity toity ah. um, but it was an amazing atmosphere yeah amazing. as a city itself it's quite impressive too it's yeah. particularly I think it holds a record for the hottest city in Europe if I'm yeah it's a beautiful city yeah. And just so much kind of culture going on about it as well, and yeah. the food and all that. So I think as well, just you know, staying the sporting theme, lots of Glaswegians will have enjoyed the Commonwealth Games back in 2014 yeah. and everything yeah. that brought to the city. So I think at the time, I ended up attending various events and just kind of by random, you know, end up handing for some of the athletics. I ended up, where else did I go to some of the swimming at the the or the toll cross yes. and things. So uh-huh. just great things to be a part of. And I, I can't actually remember anyone 
of note that I've seen, but it was just, you know, the atmosphere was fantastic. Well, it's the atmosphere, you're seeing it absolutely live, yeah. and there's nothing better than seeing somebody putting a performance in that is a world record or, or their own personal best. It's mm -hmm. just, there's nothing better than, yeah. you know, everybody watches Sky and their team, but just to be there is yeah, just something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Good. Yeah. Listen, fellas, it's been fantastic. Yeah, um, we'll get like it on again, um, and we'll try and, we'll get this on, there won't be much editing, there never is any much editing. I'll just fire this out and we'll get it out sure. tomorrow or something. Sounds good, John. Yourself. All right. Great. Thanks again. I don't know if you can pick this up, but certainly my voice has started to go a little bit croaky. I don't know if you heard that in the interview. We interviewed them there on Wednesday and the voice was beginning to go. It's still, <laughs> it's still beginning to go. Um, hopefully... Um, I've got some interviews lined up for next week. But weren't they great guests? You know, a startup just like me, and it's great to get people on who are doing startups. You know, understanding why they're doing that, discussing their fails, enjoying their successes. It's just a great, great story, and I hope you enjoyed their story. As far as startups are concerned, we're going to talk to Denley Graham next week. Michael Graham and Shan Delaney uh, had started a legal firm there back in August and we're in there talking to them on Wednesday to see how they're getting on. So again, that's really me delving back into my past as far as a solicitor is concerned and it will be interesting to see how they're getting on, what mistakes they've made, what successes they've had, and we'll pop that on. Just a quick little update as to where we're at with number one. She's landed in Spain. She's having a year out before she goes up to uni. She's in Bilbao at the moment. She's playing for a hockey team out there called Getchko. I think her first game's on this week, so I'll be interested to see how she gets on. She's doing a sort of au pair thing, so I think the family that she's staying with is, is paying her 80, 90 euros a week. She, they, she looks after their kids. It sounds like a cushy job, if you tell me. They've got, she's got to look after the kids between 8.30 and 9.30, then she's got the rest of the day off, and then she's got to look after them between 5.30 and 9, and she gets to go and play hockey. Fantastic, fantastic. And number two, well, we were over there in Edinburgh for the tournament, the under-16 district tournament, and didn't they go ahead and win? They, they, they beat East in a, in a final where they competed against them and it was one all and they won on running penalties. Uh, they chose five girls to take penalties. It ended up they needed 10 penalties each to find out who the winner was and it was just fantastic. It was really, really good to see the girls doing so well there. So that was fantastic. And then Emma's playing on Saturday there, number two, she's playing on Saturday um, and she's making a first team debut for GHK. So chuffed the bits as far as that's concerned as far as my own sporting bits and pieces I'm training at the moment for the Valencia Marathon that's on on the 1st of December I think so I've started training and I must be in about week 6 or so and you know what I'm feeling pretty fit I haven't had my usual 
disaster yet. Um, the IT band, which I was suffering with last year, uh, seems to have all sorted itself out, which is fantastic news. And next Sunday, we've got the Glasgow Half Marathon. So I think I'm probably going to have a go at that and just see if I can knock that one out the park. But uh, we'll see. I've still got to enter it. So I'll need to see whether or not that's going to be possible. So listen, it's a busy, busy week ahead. I'm going to put on my trainers, go out for a run, and uh, I'll catch you next time. As ever, you've been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. It's all about property. And you know what? It's a sideways look at property. Catch you next time.